So uh, we welcome Paul up. He's got control. Um, I'll, I'll just pray for Paul um, as we start. Lord, we want to thank you for those words from Galatians. We want to thank you that you're a God who has something to say to us here this morning. And we pray for Paul now as, um, as he comes to, to bring us those words. We pray that you'll pour on him the gift of wisdom and discernment we heard about earlier. To show us uh, what you want to speak to us this morning. In your name, Amen. 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 Thank you very much. Thank you very, very much for your welcome. I'm a Baptist preacher, which means that I go on a lot. Um, I say that just to get, so that at the beginning you'll be shocked at how brief I can actually be. This is, this is my hope it may not uh, work out. Um, I thought I might just quickly just say something briefly about the vacancy and so on, because I, I know that that clearly is a source of some anxiety, as I have been. Oh, no, it's all right. Well, well oh, servant hearts going on here. Um, I've uh, been part of uh, the, the, what's now called the local advisory group. In fact, there was a group before that called the steering group that existed before Campbell had been built. There was no, nothing here. And I was on that, which just goes to show how old I am. Um, and uh, I became the chair of that group just as we were about to look for the first full-time minister. And so I was heavily involved in, 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 uh, in Peter coming here. So I hope that gives you a bit of kudos, you know. Um, and if it doesn't, well, don't tell me. Um, and at that time, obviously, it was very much, there was hardly a church. There was just a handful of people, really, meeting in the doctor's uh, vestry, um, surgery rather. Now, this is rather different this time, in a sense, because that time the local advisory group did everything. This time you're going to do everything. <laughs> well, more or less anyway. There's a selection group that will be talking to people, interviewing people and so on. The, the local advisory group will be alongside of that group and will be involved in that. But that whole group will then, we pray and trust under God's guidance, will we'll find someone that they believe should be the next person. And then that person is going to come and, and, and meet all of you. We'll take service and so on. And then you will need to make a decision there as to whether that you're really sure and want to affirm the, uh, the decision of the selection group. So it is a process that everybody is going to be involved in. Uh, and therefore, can I just say to you, please, please, I'm sure you're going to do this, please make this an object of great prayer. Um, you've got a little slip in your, serv in your, in your uh, notices, I notice, which tells you the sort of process that's going to go on. Please use that as, as something that you will pray about. Because um, my experience over the last um, um, nearly 15 years, really, of doing the job that I do now, and by the way, I'm a regional minister for the Baptists, uh, the, the, the simplest thing is to say, I'm like a bishop, but I'm not. Uh, because ba Baptists don't have bishops, but there you go. Um, but we do. Uh, but that's another matter. Uh, it's, it's all very bizarre. But that means I'm involved a great deal with, with churches finding ministers and ministers finding churches. And I have to say, my abiding awareness is it only works because of God. I have to say that. It really does. That when you try to think of how you can find a person for a church that's going to all fit, you know, it, humanly, it goes beyond what we could expect to do. But God does do it. So please remember that and hold on to that as we go on. Uh, actually, uh, what uh, the passage I was given was this passage from Galatians. And uh, like many of Paul's letters, at the end he, he gives you this good, simple, straightforward, practical advice. So it's dead easy for a preacher, really, to get hold of this, I hope. And we'll see what we need to do at a moment. Practical life 
in the spirit. What it means to be spiritual, in a sense, can sometimes uh, seem, you know, people talk about being super spiritual and you tend to talk about people who are perfect in some way or people who've got no problems or whatever. Um, We really need to be aware that what Paul is speaking about here is what all Christians are called to be like. And Paul is very passionate about this at Galatia because Galatia, I'm sure you're aware, it was a church that he was very heavily involved in. It was a church he knew loved him because they had welcomed him at a time when he'd been unwell and had nurtured him and cared for him. He'd shared the good news with them and a living community of Christ had arisen that was very powerfully engaged by God's Holy Spirit. He could say to them, you knew God was amongst you because the Spirit was at work amongst you. And then this church got infiltrated with, by people who had a different view. Christians who had not managed to break out entirely from certain aspects of, 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 of the history, as it were, and didn't realise that God was spreading his blessing, not just to the Jewish nation, but to all nations, that they were to be like Jonah, who would take the good news to the, to the heathen, as it were, and see them become part of God's family. And so... The group thought, well, you, you, you had to be a Jew before you could become a Christian. And this greatly troubled the, the folk at Galatia. And Paul had to say to them, no, it's as you place your trust in Jesus Christ that you find your way into the Israel of God, as he says at the very end of that the passage that we, we had read. And he's passionate that people have been misled, that people have been disturbed, people have been upset And that's really the heart of what goes on in his letter. That's why the letter starts with him, not with a nice greeting, but him getting really annoyed with them. But I'm sure someone else has told you that, so I won't go into that. But at the end here, he draws everything together in terms of what he's been saying theologically, if you like, to them, and says, now this is how you need to be. And essentially what he says is, you need to be people who are going to sow to the Spirit. You started with the Spirit, he says in chapter 3, In chapter 5 he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and now he says now Christian people sow to the Spirit. They are people to put their life, to invest their life in God's Holy Spirit. And essentially what that means is he wants us, God wants us to live this life now. It's a now type of life. When Paul says sow to the Spirit he means do it now. It's a present command if you like, it's a present statement, it's a continuing statement. He's not speaking about some sort of future, as it were, that's pie in the sky when you die. He's saying, here and now, you are to live the life that Christ gives you in the Holy Spirit. And you will have the Spirit's aid in doing this. This is not something you're not going to be able to do. In chapter 5, as I said, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And fruit is something that grows. The tree doesn't make it happen. It happens because it's of the nature of the Spirit engaged with us that these things will flow from us. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These will come because it's the Spirit at work. But we need to sow to the Spirit. We need to engage with him and allow our lives, as it were, to be seeded, as it were, into him. So that the Christian life is for the now, not just for the future. It is for the future, obviously. But we need to grasp hold of this astonishing fact that the life of God is at work now amongst us. So, it's life now. But it's also a life that is aware. What do I mean by that? Well, this is verse 3 where he says this. uh, Each of you should test... Well, no, he doesn't say that. He says, if any of you think of yourselves when you are nothing, you deceive yourselves. Each of you should test your own actions, then you can take pride in yourself. 
Paul is calling for a very real self-awareness to be part of what a Christian is. I have to say that this is a, a big issue for me. It's a big issue for me when I deal with churches when they get into problems and difficulties. Because what I often find is the reason they're in a problem or a difficulty is because they are not aware of what's happening in them, either individually or as, as, as a community. So if a church gets itself into some sort of conflict situation, one set thinks they're right, the other thinks they're right. Well, the fact of the matter is they can't be both right, so there's some lack of awareness there, isn't there? Some lack of what's actually going on in me. And so often what's going on in me is a desire to be proved right, is a desire to be top dog, is a desire to have people think I'm nice and kind and all the rest of it. And that can be a real danger. Because if we're not aware of that, then we can end up being people who actually go astray and hurt and damage folks. So here he says to, look, someone goes wrong in the church, gently restore them. That's what he says. But watch yourself just in case you get it wrong. It's very easy to rush to judgment on all sorts of things. Judgment sometimes needs to be taken. Don't, don't forget that. Uh, the Christian life is not a flippy, floppy, you know, wishy-washy way. It, it's the way of Christ, and that's a powerful, uh, moral, transforming way. But what Paul is saying, just be aware. We're not in the business of beating people up in their frailty or their... Their, their vulnerability. We're not even in the business of beating people up in their sin. We're in the business of saying, there's a better way. There's a way you can move out of that. And that requires this uh, uh, self-awareness. He also talks about being responsible for ourselves. In, uh, we've majored on sharing of burdens. That's great. But hear what he says in verse 5 also. Each of you should carry your own load. Now, that almost seems contradictory, doesn't it? He says, share, bear one another's burdens. And then he says, each of you should carry your own load. I don't think it's contradictory. I think it's the balance that comes in the gospel, essentially. The balance that you see so often in God's action and our action, between individuals and community. And he's saying, here, here's another balance. Yes, we share one another's burdens, but we don't put our burdens onto other people. <laughs> we don't uh, assume we can be the ones always receiving. We need to be responsible people. If we're aware of ourselves, we're aware of our needs and we're aware of the burdens we carry. And if that burden's a bit heavy, we, we may go to someone and say, help me with this. Counsel me about this. But on another occasion, we will realise, no, I, I hold this, I've got to do this myself. I'm the only one who can work this one through. So there's that sense of, of truly being aware of ourselves and, and, and how we are and not imposing burdens on other people. I was trying to, the reason the picture of, 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 uh, of Vincent van Gogh is there, it's just simply because I was looking for something that talked about a self-image, and I got that. But actually that guy had a lot of burdens imposed on him, which drove him to his death. He, he was a Christian missionary, originally. And all sorts of things happened. So it's not a bad picture of the need, the danger of not being aware, not just about ourselves, but other people, and they don't push things onto us. And then finally, this is a life that's for others as well. Service is the primary purpose, really and truly, of being a Christian. I know that the Westminster Confession, which Peter, I'm sure, quoted to you lots of times, and Ian certainly will have done, is that the chief end of man is to, is to enjoy God, worship God and enjoy him forever. Yeah, fair enough. But worshipping God involves serving others because that's 
part of what God is so pleased about. That song we sang just recently about Jesus wanting his church to be like him. And what did he come? The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. He did not come to be served, but to serve, as Mark's Gospel tells us. And this really, therefore, places us very, very much in the position of being Christ for people. Paul says it needs to happen in a couple of ways. Firstly, to God's household, very obviously and properly, we need to be those who want to serve within the community that we're in so that we can bring the joy of Christ, the the healing of Christ, the encouragement of Christ as well. That's absolutely essential. But Paul also says, does he not, as you have opportunity, do good to all people. We have a mandate, a command to to do that serving throughout the world. And that do good, I think, is an important thing to grasp hold of. It's doing good we're called to be about. Now, some people go on about do-gooding, as though it's something that's, uh, you know, unpleasant, lady bountiful stuff, you know, sort of dropping on people. Please, let's not give the cynics the way in this. Doing good is important and it's vital. If you want a just world, we've got to do good. If you want a fair world, we've got to do good. If you want a world without violence, you've got to do good. If you want a world where there's equality of opportunity, you've got to do good because those things are good. So don't let people sort of try and smarmily say, oh, well, that's all pie in the sky or that's all idealism. Let's have a bit of idealism, like Jesus' idealism was. To do good to all, that's our mission. And let's not in any way hold back or in any way say, oh, this is a bit feeble or weak. This is the stuff that changes societies. This is the stuff that makes the difference. And the church has always known this. There was a period in the early church history, you you know, that the empire became sort of Christian. We won't go into that. Baptists have views on that. Um, But but there was a, a, a retrenchment. Emperor Julian, called Julian the Apostate, tried to turn the empire back to the old pagan ways. He failed. And he said, one of the reasons he failed is, not only do these Christians do good to their own people, they do it to ours as well. And because of that, the power of the gospel was so evident. That can be multiplied again and again and again, down through Christian history and in all Christian groupings, quite frankly, that when doing good in this sense has become part of the fibre of what we are, In other words, when we're not just a little insular community. You know, probably, I don't know if you've ever seen the film Witness, which is about Harrison Ford, an Amish community, Amish Mennonites, who are are quite an interesting community. They're very inward-looking. They're still in the 19th century. They don't have cars and all the rest of it and so on. Seems strange, doesn't it? You think, where's Christianity in that? Do you know, if there is a disaster in the area where Pennsylvania and so on, the first people who turn up are the Amish. They turn up to help because that's part of what they know God wants them to do. So we may think their way of life seems a bit odd and out of it, but they've got the heart of the gospel in what they are, doing good, because that's what needs to be done. This really is pretty much close, as I've just said, to the heart of the gospel. This is the gospel with shoes on, if you like. This is a gospel that's going and doing And I know I'm a Baptist and therefore I'm a bit of an activist, but I actually think it's biblical too that this is what we're called to be. 
We're not called to just sit back. We need to do that. We need to reflect. We need to pray. We need all of that. We really do. But it's channeled into the way we serve. Someone once said, every Christian preaches some kind of sermon from some kind of pulpit every day. That pulpit may be the water cooler in your office where you say something to someone that encourages them. That pulpit may be the getting on the bus and, and having a, a listen to someone who's, who's got a bit of a problem. That pulpit may be that you help out your neighbour in a particular project or whatever. That's a pulpit where you are beginning to preach the gospel. You all know Francis of Assisi said, wherever you go, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. I actually think you need to definitely use words. But you can see what he was driving at there. And we all are called into that really astonishing privilege of doing good, sharing the gospel. It is a privilege. Why is it a privilege? God thinks you can do it. God believes in you, in your capacity to live out the life of Christ. God values you as someone in Jesus Christ. Please remember that. Please hold on to that. Because What Paul is speaking about here is not a burden to be imposed upon us. Far from it. He's talking about privileges that we are actually being given. And as that very last verse that was read, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. That's where God is coming from, towards us as it were to pour out peace and mercy upon his people, that his people may pour out peace and mercy on those around them. And I know that this is something which is at the heart of what you are as a church, because you are. So let me commend and encourage you, keep being like that, because this is what God wants. And this is what causes a church to grow in every dimension, not just in its numbers, Frankly, it's not difficult to grow in numbers in a place like Campbell when you get people keep added in all the time. But what we do want to do is grow in every dimension of our faith, every dimension of our humanity, every dimension of our community life together. And that's probably what you are most capable and are doing in in showing to this, this new community what community can actually be like. Do good for one another. Share one another's burdens and let that overflow come. You're doing it, keep doing it. Please keep doing it. And we'll try and make sure that the next pastor who comes here, the next minister who comes here, is someone who's going to be doing that too. Because if they're not, there will be trouble ahead, (laughs) no doubt. But there you go. Here's a prayer. Let's just quietly reflect on what we've been thinking about, what the Word of God has said to us. This is simply a prayer that's designed to help us reaffirm, if you like, what... We've heard here that we want to live life now, we want to live a where life, we want to live life that is for others. We, in other words, we want to be disciples, really, I suppose. If you want to summarise that, disciples, followers of Jesus. Should we be quiet just for a few moments, reflect on what God might be saying to each, to each of us individually about this, where this might work out in our work or in our family or with our friends. And then if you want to, join me in in this prayer so that we might invite God to take us on in our journey with him. So let's be still and quiet.
So, as we need to, we pray together. Lord, I come to you and say, I want to follow you more closely. Let me rejoice in your gospel and so be kept from self-interest. Give me courage to stick at what you call me to be and to do. Open my inner senses to the gentle direction of your spirit. Grant me wisdom to understand your ways and to walk in them. Help me value sisters and brothers with whom I share the journey. And may Jesus be glorified in all we plan and pray for, bringing honour to the one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.